connecting. Right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're back. This is uh, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, this morning's show we're going to be in Genesis chapter three. We started Genesis chapter three, verse one, actually two shows ago, but uh, today we're going to have to do a little bit of a digression and a little bit of a recap, and uh, because we need to get the difference between the name of Yahweh, which is Yahweh's personal name, by which he repeatedly tells us that this is the name by which we should call him, and the word Elohim. There's uh, all kinds of, yeah, yeah, Bidenlonians are coming after us, <laughs> right? Babylonians. But the, there's even within identity, there are Babylonians who don't know the difference between Yahweh and Elohim. So we have to cover this subject very, very carefully and get it right. Because if we don't get it right, then there's still going to be confusion. And uh, I just came up with a formula. Confusion plus hopium equals coup d'etat. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and the Rothschilds are getting us loads of confusion, loads of hopium, and... Either way, it's going to be a coup d'etat, okay, because that's what the Rothschilds want, and nobody stands in the way of the Rothschilds, at least no, no president stands in their way, even Donald Trump, okay? So, good morning, Dan from Georgia. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we were talking uh, at length, actually, when we got to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 4, and let me read it here. It's going to be very relevant in our discussion today. Genesis 2.4, these are the generations, and generations here is Toledal, descent, line of descent, that is family of the heavens, Shamim. So this verse is telling us there are generations of a family of Yahweh dwelling in the heavens, otherwise known as the Elohim or angels, archangels, whatever, all of those different appellations toward the beings in heaven, in the heavenly realm, uh, 
the other dimension, are these Elohim. They are not the same as Yahweh. <laughs> Yahweh is the arching overlord over everything. He created the Elohim as well. Okay? So, now when, and so let me start from the beginning. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. This is the first time we encounter the name of Yahweh in the Bible, Genesis 2-4, okay? In Genesis 1 and uh, through Genesis 2-3, it's only Elohim, okay? And we, we've been telling people that these two words have different meanings. They cannot be equated, and we're going to be reading some scholarly articles to that effect. But, uh, so maybe we should go, uh, uh, Dan, uh, do you have that article up? I do. Okay, let's let's go into it. Ask a scholar, what does mm-hmm. Yahweh Elohim mean? Okay, over to you. Okay. This article is by Dr. Mark Furtado, Robert L. McClellan, Professor of Old Testament and Academic Dean at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. Dr. Furtado received his Ph.D. and M.A. in Semitic Languages, from the Catholic University of America. He specializes in Hebrew language and is the author of the book, Beginning Biblical Hebrew. Let's take a look at the meaning of Yahweh Elohim. First, Yahweh is a proper noun, the personal name of Israel's deity. Second, Elohim is a common noun used to refer to deity. Okay, so let me just interrupt here real quick. This is what we have been teaching on all the previous episodes of Genesis to Revelation. So this this Hebrew scholar agrees with us that these are two separate meanings of two separate words. Back to you. Okay, and my computer has frozen up. And I oh, can't you're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, uh, can you, is there still something there? It may uh, reactivate. Can you keep reading or no? Um, uh, first, Yahweh, I said, I think I've already read this. First, Yahweh is a proper noun, the personal name of Israel's deity. Second, Elohim is a common noun used to refer to deity. And um, I can't go down any further. Cause oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll just, up. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, you can uh, refresh. Well, I'll continue reading while you try to refresh. Okay. All right. And then I'll put the link in here. In, in fact, I'll do that now. because Here we go. A, I'm good now. Okay. Good. Very good. All right. Elohim is actually a plural noun, indicated by the I-M, as in cherubim and seraphim. Sometimes the referent is plural. At other times, the referent is singular. Like most words in English, Elohim can mean several things. Sometimes Elohim refers to personal go- uh, to plural gods, as in, you shall have no other gods before me, spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 7. At other times, it refers to the singular God as, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. It is clear in this latter example that even though the form of the word Elohim is plural, the referent is singular, because the verb with which Elohim is used, created, is singular in Hebrew. Okay, now he's only speaking linguistically. It's a, it's a collective noun, it is a collective noun, and collective nouns are used in a language as singular, like the band played a song. 
<laughs> All right. So the uh, the the uh, it's the word band as a collective noun. So if it were the instrumentalist uh, played a song, then it's obviously plural. Okay, that is the 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 people in the band. The people in the band played a song. Uh, that's clearly plural. But the word band is also plural in the sense that it encompasses all the people in the band. So there, it's a collective noun that takes a singular verb. That's all he's saying. Okay, back to you. So why the plural form if the referent is singular? The best answer is that this is an honorific plural. That is to say, a plural used to show honor to a singular referent. Such an honorific plural is used for humans in texts like 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 43, where we read, Our Lord King David. The Hebrew word translated Lord in this case is plural, even though it refers to the singular David. This honorific plural is also used of God elsewhere in texts like Psalm 8, 1, where we read, O Lord, our Lord. In this text, Lord, small caps, translates Yahweh while Lord translates a common noun for master, which is in this text plural in form, though referring to the singular Yahweh. So Psalms 8.1 could be translated, O Yahweh, our master. Okay, and also like Queen Elizabeth, when she signs a document, she signs it in the name of the crown. Not I, but she'll say, the crown has spoken. (laughs) Right? What do you mean, crown? Crowns don't speak. No, it's a reference to herself. Back to you. So Yahweh is the true is the true God's personal name, and Elohim by itself is simply the Hebrew common noun used to refer to the true God in an honorific way. Now, what about the combination Yahweh Elohim? First, Yahweh Elohim cannot mean Lord of Gods. This is the case for a fundamental grammatical reason. In Hebrew, there is a special grammatical relationship between two nouns called the construct state. The construct state is the Hebrew way of expressing all the relationships that English expresses with the simple word of. So in Hebrew, when one noun, for example, king, is in construction with a second noun, for example, Israel, we could translate this phrase king of Israel. The problem with Yahweh Elohim is that Hebrew grammar does not permit a proper noun to be put in construction with a common noun. So Yahweh Elohim cannot mean Yahweh, Lord of Gods. In addition, when Elohim refers to the true God, it is singular and so translated God and not gods. Second, the relationship between Yahweh and Elohim in the combination Yahweh Elohim is one of apposition. That is to say, the second noun is placed immediately after the first noun to provide some sort of further definition or explanation. The significance of this can be seen in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, only Elohim is used to refer to deity. This is no doubt because of the universal perspective of this creation story. In Genesis 2, on the other hand, deity is referred to as Yahweh Elohim. These two accounts converge to affirm that Yahweh, the God of Israel, <clears throat> and not any other ancient Near Eastern deity, is Elohim, the universal God. So then Yahweh Elohim does not mean Lord of Gods, the one of many, but means that Yahweh, the personal God who rules over Israel, is at one 
and the same time, the universal God who rules over all. Okay, but the construction in Genesis 2-4 tells us that these Elohim are beings in the heavens. <laughs> okay? So it is, nevertheless, whatever the Hebrew grammatical construction it does mean Yahweh, the most high God, over all other gods, over all Elohim. That's what it means. Okay? So, now, this became a bone of contention between myself and Clifton Emmeheiser. And the reason it became a bone of contention was because he does not want to admit that Yahweh created the beast of the earth in Genesis 24-25, nor the beast of the field in Genesis chapter 2. He says, there's no way Yahweh would create anything that's not good. So that begs the question, did Yahweh create cockroaches, <laughs> right? <laughs> and how about rodents or tarantulas? I mean, no one argues whether God, Yahweh God created any of those things. But because he does not want to admit, his theory presupposes that all of the non-white races are hybrids of, of white people and non-white people. Okay. And we went into this, uh, I told him, uh, Clifton, hybrids, hybrids are, are infer infertile. The vast majority of hybrids are sterile. So, now can, uh, now another question. Can the fallen ones, can the hybridizers create a viable species from a hybrid? Maybe. Maybe they'd have that kind of intelligence. But no one has ever been able to do it yet. Okay? You cross a lion with a tiger, a so-called liger. That can only happen in a laboratory. And they, they don't reproduce themselves after you create them in a laboratory. Okay? So I had all kinds of problems with this uh, doctrine that Clifton Emheiser was promoting. And uh, uh, let me just go through it. Okay, this uh, uh, June 23, 2003, Clifton A. Emheiser, and he's now deceased, so it won't matter if I give out his address, 1012 North Vine Street, Fostoria, Ohio, only to Eli James, Daniel Johns, and Dick Ford. And the letter goes, I am sorry about the meeting cancellation. We were going to have, we had several meetings in which 24 two seed line elders had met and formed a council of elders. And for some reason, he had to, he said he couldn't attend the next one. I, I know the reason why, but not, not uh, necessary to go into it here. The problem seems to have been caused by one Charles Claude, General Post Office, Strasburg, North Dakota. He uses the post office at Linton, North Dakota, to mail his literature. He calls himself the Christ Assembly of North Dakota. In short, he's bad news. He called me on three occasions asking the most absurd questions. On the last call, Friday, June 20, and toward the end of the conversation, out of the clear blue sky, he advised me that I better not attend that meeting. <laughs> okay. Anyway, he, I acted like I had never heard of any meeting, but he insisted there was one scheduled in Ohio. He seemed to more... He seemed to know more about it than I did. So, you know, this was supposed to be all confidential. It was uh, exclusively for two seed liners. Okay. And so somehow this guy, 
Okay. By this time, you three should have received my letter stating my position on the creation of Adam in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Also, you should have received the 11-page position paper by Eli James. The part about the two-seed-line doctrine is great, but I cannot agree on Eli's position. Originally, there were no chapter divisions, nor were there any punctuation marks. That is true, there were no chapter divisions. However, let me point out to everybody a very, very crucial verse, which, again, is in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 2.1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Finished. Ended. No more creation after verse 2.1. And he repeats it in Genesis 2.2. And on the seventh day, God ended. (laughs) Finished. Same word. They just translate it finished in one verse and ended in the next verse. His work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. I don't know. Does that, does that sound confusing to you, Dan? Not at all. Okay. I mean, what part of the word finished can you not understand? Okay. Finished means completed. It's done. over. Yeah. No more. It's done. And it, it's over. And it also says he rested in verse 2 from, from the work that he did in Genesis chapter 1. But no, Clifton Emmeheiser says, no, that's not what it means. He continues. And he says... Eli, I have nothing personally against him, yeah, right, suggests that the Elohim of chapter 1 created the other races and that Yahweh of chapter 2 created Adam, the white man. Well, I told him that Yahweh created Adam in Genesis chapter 1. And there were lots of Adamites, not just one. Okay, not just male. See, another part of their argument is that he only created Adam, the male, first. But we we discussed this. It clearly says male and female. He made them. Created them. Okay. So, I mean, he gets so much wrong in Genesis 1 and 2 that it's unbelievable. Anyway, and this is why uh, this this has to be gotten correct. Because even people in identity don't understand what what these verses are talking about. He says that Eli bases the assumption on the idea that Yahweh isn't mentioned until chapter 2, which is true. But let's take a look at Genesis 2-4, where Yahweh is mentioned. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created, in the day that Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heavens. Here we have the terms Lord God, which should be translated Yahweh Elohim. This verse points back to Genesis 1-1. And every place that God Elohim is mentioned, it implies Yahweh from Genesis 2.4. Yes, I, I don't agree. I mean, I don't argue that it, Yahweh is implied. He's just not mentioned until Genesis 2.4. But that doesn't mean that the word Yahweh and the word Elohim are referring to the same um, subjects. Okay? So, uh, so here's, he continues... And in this verse, Yahweh is taking credit for the entire creation of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, no problem. I have no problem with that statement. In the Old Testament, Lord God is used 533 times together and simply means Yahweh Almighty. That's okay. That's fair. In other words, Yahweh and Elohim are the same thing. That statement is absolutely wrong. That is completely theologically in error. And he should know it. 
but because he does not want to admit that Yahweh created the other races, he has to concoct this fake theory that Genesis chapter 2 is a continuation of Genesis chapter 1 and ignore the day of rest in Genesis 2.2. 2. Okay? And he goes on. The term Elohim simply means mighty one. No, it means gods. That's what it means. It means gods in the plural. That's how it's used in the Bible. We already went through a couple of uh, examples. The heathen have their Baal Elohim, and we have our Yahweh Elohim. He, even in, in his description, he admits that the, the, the heathen have gods. <laughs> and Elohim is an adjective. That is utter nonsense. Utter nonsense, people. Now you know Ephraim Emmeheiser. I was just trying to understand his position, and every argument he made to me was utterly ridiculous. And uh, I was talking to Roger from Indiana yesterday, who uh, I had the same experience because I thought Clifton Emmeheiser and High, because he was a, uh, a well mind, and, and uh, as I've been finding out, his view of Genesis 1 and 2 is totally unique. No one had ever argued what uh, Clifton Hemmerheiser had argued up to this point in time. Now, not even Cliff, uh, Swift and Comparey would agree with uh, Emmerheiser. And I pointed this out to him as well. So anyway, I was talking with Roger and he said uh, he had an only, I think that was the, the discussion. Anyway, it was a point of disagreement. And, and the friend that came over said, Roger, I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> In, in real condescending terms, <laughs> I am, okay? Uh, what's the problem? Well, don't you know that the King James Version is the only version that, that should be read and, and, and uh, you know, talked about? Uh, no, I don't know that. <laughs> this guy got so angry with Roger that, uh, you know, a shouting match ensued and he stormed out of the house, Okay. I've run into this with many people, Dan, where you think you know them. <laughs> You're like a wife thinks he knows her husband until there's a minor disagreement and he explodes with uh, well, anger. Go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, we have to learn everything. I want to be both of them. I take it you're single. <laughs> I am. <laughs> right? And that's why. <laughs> yeah. So so Clifton Emheiser reacted with absolute rage when I dared to contradict his theology. Because up to this point, there was no contradiction. You know, we were diehard two seed liners. But we, like I said, we had never discussed Genesis 1 and 2. And so... He said, this means war. Statement here. Yahweh is a noun and Elohim is an adjective is absolutely an absurd statement. Eli, I'd like to point out another verse, too, that, that yeah. really differentiates it for me and seals it for me is Psalms 82.1. Okay. It's a, it says, uh, a song congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And this word gods is from the Hebrew, Hebrew word 430, which means Elohim. So... There's, I mean, that's not a verb. That is, he yeah. judges among the gods. A yeah. noun. Yep. Yeah. And it's also translated as judge. The word Elohim is translated as judge as well. Okay. So clearly there it's a noun. 
Okay, now how can he make a statement which is so ridiculous? It's what it says. Yahweh is a noun and Elohim is an adjective. No, absolutely not. As we just read, it's a construct putting two nouns together, but it just lacks the word of. Okay, but uh, we do that, uh, we can say uh, Chicago Bulls. The Bulls of Chicago, right? That's a construct. It's two nouns put together. Mm-hmm. All right. How can you not see that? <laughs> yeah, right. The hardest thing for some people to do is to admit that they're wrong. Well, I guess I don't know how many decades he'd been teaching this. Okay, uh, but because I hadn't known him that long, because 2003 was the first time I met Clifton. That's when we had the Council of Elders. Okay, and even at the Council of Elders, everybody was in agreement about two seed line doctrine. Okay, but uh, so this issue of Genesis 1 and 2 had not yet come up. He continues, if there is a natural, turn turn the page here, division of chapters, it should have been between verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. I agree with that. That's the natural because uh, it's still talking about the creation, the finishing of the creation. I am aware that the term Elohim can mean many things, but we need to keep the term in its proper context. The context in chapter 1 for Elohim is Yahweh. Well, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Because the construct, Yahweh Elohim, is not the same as Yahweh, which is the personal name of our Creator. Elohim is a word that simply means God's in the collective sense. So that the construct, the two together, means Almighty God, okay, or El Shaddai, the Almighty is another word for Almighty. It does not, it's not the case that Elohim means Yahweh. They're not the same word and they don't have the same meaning, okay? So, secondly, he says, after the after creation was completed on the sixth eon, so he agrees that the, we're talking about eons, not days. Yahweh rested on the seventh eon. There was no eighth-day creation. I don't teach eighth-day creation. He does. He says that Adam wasn't created until the eighth day. But he doesn't even believe in an eighth day because he does not recognize the seventh day. He says in the next sentence, we are probably still in Yahweh's seventh eon. So, Yahweh didn't finish the work of Genesis 1? Now do you understand why I, I cannot fathom Clifton Emmeheiser's theology? This is absolute nonsense. So he says, we're probably still in the seventh day. <laughs> if anything, he's probably... No, no, he uses the word probably. Okay. If anything, he's probably going to come at his second advent at the beginning of the eighth eon. No, we are in the eighth eon, Clifton. Because the Bible clearly says he rested on the seventh eon. And then after resting on the seventh eon, Genesis chapter 2 starts. Your comment, Dan. I wanted to make another comment about this Elohim. Um, Psalms 82.6 also says... I have said, ye are gods, which is from the word Elohim, and are children of the Most High. Mm-hmm. So that 
pretty much. I mean, that seals it for me. As far as yeah. you know, the two words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How can you ignore all these different constructions? You can't. But Clifton does. He simply says that they mean the same thing. No, they don't. I mean, there's no theologian in the entire planet, two-seed-line, uh, Baptist, uh, Catholic, you name it, who would agree with what Clifton has wrote here. I think he just needs to write his own Bible. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, but because he does not want to accept the fact that Yahweh Elohim created the other races, he won't accept the, the expression beast of the earth as including two-legged beasts. He won't accept the expression beast of the field as including two-legged beasts. And he does everything he can to avoid the suggestion that Yahweh created the other races for his own, because he says Yahweh would not create anything that isn't good. That's literally his argument. I said, Clifton, this is childish what you're saying. It's utterly childish. I can't believe you're even trying to make this argument. You know, I, and I told him, if you can prove your contentions to me, I'll go along with it. And I'll teach as well that Yahweh did not create the other races. But you're not, you're not convincing me. <laughs> right? Your arguments don't make any sense whatsoever. Okay? So, he says, we are probably still in Yahweh's seventh eon. No, we're not. We're in the eighth eon. And probably the ninth and tenth already. If anything... He's probably going to come at the second advent. As you can see, this proposal with Elohim-only creation idea goes against my teachings. Oh, yes, it does. Sorry about that. At the present time, it would appear best for me to let the rest of you debate this between yourselves and come to a conclusion of your own without me. I don't want any of my ministries to point a finger at me and accuse me of taking both sides of an issue. I hope you all understand. The other races aren't even on Yahweh's radar screen. Okay, so it clearly, he does not want to accept the fact that Elohim created the other races. But he identifies Elohim with Yahweh. Does not want to accept, because we talked about this last time, that the Elohim are those angels in the other dimension whom Yahweh was using to create. To, to, he gave them the blueprint, and they are the ones who formed the physical entities on the earth. Okay? Now, he quotes, he directly quotes from the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. He sent me, he, he copied this and sent it to me. Under the definition of the word Elohim, they say, this word appears frequently in the Old Testament as a name for deity, God, gods. Being plural in form, it echoes ancient polytheism like the name El to which it is closely related. In Fable, Judges 9.13, or Jethro's declaration that Yahweh is greater than the other Elohim. sent me as proof of his position. On the contrary, it's proof of my position. <laughs> I can't, what's going on in his brain? Has he deluded himself so greatly that he can't read the meanings of words and can't take a criticism from... Either that or his ego is so gargantuan that he cannot fathom any, you know, anybody challenging his position. Well, the last sentence of his letter suggests that. Okay, 
Continuing. In the great majority of instances, however, Elohim is used as a singular sense, even when as a concession to the plural form of the word. The accompanying verb is the plural. Okay, the accompanying verb, that's talking about the verb that follows the noun Elohim. They're not saying that Elohim is a verb. I mean, talk about confusion. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, the confusion going on in Emma Heiser's mind here. Uh, this use is often called the, the plural of majesty, or the pluralis amplitudinis. Elohim includes all gods. This is the article he's using to argue against my position. And he's supporting your position. He's supporting. <laughs> he doesn't seem to understand he's supporting my position. The fullness of deity is comprehended in him. Thus, the word is equivalent to deity, or Godhead. In this sense, it is used in the priestly account of creation. Then Elohim said, Let us make man in our image. <laughs> plural. After our likeness, plural, Genesis 1.26. The passage presupposes the conception of the heavenly council. Genesis 2.2, 2, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, my position is totally verified. He's quoting, he's quoting uh, the interpreter's dictionary, and he's rejecting what they say, yet he wants to cite it to confirm his point of view. This is amazing, folks. Utterly amazing. So, but we have run into this before. Not necessarily Jews, but very proud, arrogant, angry white men who make life difficult for us because they don't, they don't like to be contradicted. I'm sorry, but I have to. I'm not going to accept your nonsense and uh, play along with your nonsensical game. So, that was the start of the animosity between me and Clifton. I just thought people should have background, but it very much pertains to the meaning of the word Yahweh and the word Elohim. You have to get this right. Okay? All right, so that all being said, I think we can proceed with Genesis uh, chapter 3. Let's start with verse 1, because, again, we need to get the meanings of these words correct. All right, over to you. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, and this comes from the Hebrew word nakash, was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Okay, and right he here, said, this is the verse I, I threw back at Clifton. It says here that Yahweh Elohim made the beast of the field. How many of those beasts of the field are good? Because you have this preconceived notion that yeah, it doesn't say the it doesn't say perfect, <laughs> right? It doesn't say the creation was perfect. It even says it was very good, but it says right here that Yahweh, Elohim, made the beast of the field. Would you object to? He doesn't object to Yahweh creating lions and tigers. Are they good? No, they kill people. So this is the childish theology that I was dealing with, and which caused a rage in Clifton Emmeheiser. Back to you. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, now very interesting here, because we briefly talked about this last time. This is Elohim. 
okay? The the serpent or the Nachash creature, and Nachash can also mean to shine like brass, has a reflected light. Doesn't it doesn't shine with his own light, it's reflected light. And Elohim said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, this is a very clever statement by Nachash. He didn't say Yahweh Elohim. Okay? Because Yahweh had never said anything like this. But he, being a descendant of the fallen ones, the fallen Elohim, now referred to as Nephilim, the fallen Elohim, he could say, well, the Nephilim, or the Elohim said, the ones that, the, the, the one third of the angels that fell with Lucifer, they can say, yeah, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, but then you shall become as gods. No, Yahweh didn't say that. But the Elohim can say that. Please continue. Verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Right, and here we're but, talking about literal fruit. You know, we're not talking about human fruit yet. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Next verse. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. Okay, Two so that... Two separate commandments right That's here. right. That's right. Okay, yeah, and uh, and now now he again he's using confusing terminology. He doesn't say Yahweh said this. He's only saying that Elohim said this. He knows the distinction. Clifton Emheiser doesn't. Okay, and neither do most theologians. That's why we we refer to these theological documents to explain the difference. Okay, so. So Elohim said, "You shall need neither." But then it was when he when he says, "Your eyes shall be opened." So basically, he he's repeating the words that Yahweh Yahweh spoke to Eve. Okay, but he's not using Yahweh's name. Okay, and see, so, so didn't Yahweh tell you? That's what he means. What that's what she thinks he means. Didn't Yahweh tell you? Not to touch <laughs> the other's fruit, this particular fruit, okay? But this is not edible fruit, at least not normally. There are such things as cannibals, but normally we don't eat each other, okay? So we're not talking about cannibalism here, because it says, even if you touch it, you might die. Please continue. Uh, okay, and I want to point out mm -hmm. uh, this word touch comes from the Hebrew word naga, and it means to lie with a woman. Right. So it, we're talking right. about a uh, we're talking about a sexual encounter here. Sexual encounter, right? And also the word naga. There's a relationship between naga and anak. They're they're cognates. The anakim, meaning the fallen angels in virtually every other culture. Okay. So there's a connection here. We're talking again. Uh, th this reeks with fallen angel, uh, you know, scenario. It reeks with it. Back to you. Okay, and I want to point out also the word "eat." We discussed this last week as well. The word "eat" uh, can be literal or figurative, That's as right. it is in uh, Ezekiel chapter three, where he Ezekiel's instructed to eat the roll, you mm -hmm. know, the the scroll or roll or whatever that that God has given him. So. Yeah. What he's yeah. what we have here is two separate commandments. Don't don't listen to what this person is telling you, and yeah. don't jump in bed with this person. That's right. right. 
basically yeah, so, comes down to. So we can see in the naivete of Eve's mind, he's not using, he's not saying Yahweh. He's using the word Elohim. And so she thinks he, he means Yahweh, the, the person, the personage, the entity that spoke to her, okay, without the intermediary function of the Elohim. She didn't understand it. Clifton Emheiser didn't understand it, okay? They're different. They're not the same. But she didn't know that. So he think, she thinks he's talking about Yahweh. Yeah, well, Yahweh spoke to me and he said this. But he's referring to him not as Yahweh, but as Elohim. Back to you. He's the ultimate smooth talker. Isn't yeah, he? there you go. <laughs> Verse uh, 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. And okay, that but is our first lie of the Bible. That's right. That is the first lie. All right. So basically he was quoting Elohim as he was quoting Yahweh, but in the name of Elohim. Okay, so he was throwing confusion at her right there, and she didn't realize she was being confused. And then, then this is the first lie. And this is, uh, and then there's lie after lie after lie <laughs> from this point on. So, so please continue. Okay. Um, I will be okay. right back, Eli. Okay, I have, very good. Uh, got to step away for just a second. Okay, all right, I'll pick it up I, here. I, so, I, for again, for Elohim, not Yahweh, Doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as Elohim in the plural. But it's spelled in lowercase g, gods, knowing good and evil. Well, didn't the fallen angels know good and evil? They knew good and evil. And so he's enticing her to join them. That's what he's enticing her to do, to become like them, not to become like Yahweh. Verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, again, this is figurative, and eating can be non-literal, and trees can be non-literal, because... We are the tree of life. Jesse was a rod, a stick, but not a literal stick. The word tree is used over and over again to refer to humans. Okay? So you have to be able to distinguish between literal and figurative usages of these words. Idioms. And Clifton agreed with me that the Bible does not translate these idioms well, and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, what fruit, literal fruit, apples, origins, whatever, make us wise? They're supposed to make us healthy. There might be some food out there that uh, is brain food, (laughs) right? But... This is not what the intention is here. We're talking about a two-legged beast of the field tree of the fallen angels walking the earth. And this is repeated in Genesis chapter 6 when we are told very explicitly that the Elohim left their first estate and their offspring become the Nephilim. Okay. So she took the fruit thereof and did eat. 
and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. As we have been saying in Two Seed Line Identity, the other races were already here. This is not suggesting that Adam committed uh, fornication with another male. He partook of the existence of the other races which were created in Genesis chapter 1. Now all this stuff begins to make really good sense. A lot of the non-seedliners say, well, there are only three persons on the entire planet. Adam, Eve, and this, this Nahash critter. Then where did Cain, who did Cain marry when he was ejected from the garden? So the confusion, I don't know if Clifton Emhai has just absorbed all the confusion from the other denominations. Or he just went off on his own tangent, but his tangent is totally confused too. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they knew that they had sinned, essentially, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Okay? So why didn't they realize they were naked before they sinned? It's because they had the Holy Spirit protection about them, and nothing could harm them physically. But somebody could challenge them and, and, and challenge them to do something evil, which is what they did. So here we see, oh, by the way, and, uh, but while, uh, while Dan is uh, dealing with something there at his house, let me give you what the rabbis, what the Kabbalah says about this episode. In the beginning, the Holy One, blessed be He, created Eve, and she was not flesh, but the scum of the earth. <laughs> this is what the Kabbalah teaches, folks. Can you believe this garbage? <laughs> she came from Ham. Do you mean? Do you mean literal Ham, as in pig meat? <laughs> That's insulting, but very mad. <laughs> or do you mean? You're backing up and Ham, the, the son of Noah, right? Yes, Hagar was white. She was absolutely white, okay? But she may have been a Hamite and, and not a Shemite, but she was absolutely white. Noah had three sons, and they were all white, okay? Again, the, the rabbis are the ones who teach that Shem was white, Ham was black, and Japheth was oriental. Hamite, thank you, Bavaria man. This is, this is the garbage that people make, that the mincemeat they make of the Bible, okay? So, they say, In the beginning, the Holy One, blessed be He, created Eve, and she was not flesh, but the scum of the earth, and its impure sediments. This is what they teach. And she was a harmful spirit, i.e. Lilith. The word Lilith make, means harmful spirit. That's where this word Lilith comes from. And the Holy One, blessed be he, took her away from Adam and gave him to another in her stead. So, in other words, what do they mean by the Holy One? Elohim or Yahweh? When the letters of the name of Adam descended below together, in their completeness, the male and the female were found together, 
and the female was attached to his side until God cast a deep slumber upon him and he fell asleep. And he lay in the place of the temple below. And the Holy One, blessed be he, I think they're talking about Lucifer here, sawed sawed her off of him and adorned her as they adorn a bride and brought her to him. Is this not a version of androgyny? Is this not a disguised version of androgyny? So he's t- they were like Siamese twins? Well, if they were Siamese twins, and he had male gonads and she had female gonads, which is what the Bible tells us, that male and female, he created, or we created them. This is a total abomination of Genesis, what the, what the Jews are teaching here. Okay? So, they teach that they were blended together somehow. Well, when did that happen? Was that maybe in a previous eon? And Yahweh had to remake the planet Earth to get it right? And that he was going to give Adam and Eve power over the angels? And Lucifer understood that that's why Yahweh created Adam and Eve? Because we're supposed to rule over them? And he did not want anybody else ruling over him? Not even Yahweh? So they create this fictitious Lilith as an androgyne who later on were separated. But they were formed down below, not on the earth's surface, as Genesis 1 and 2 clearly tell us. So in an ancient book, this is one of the authors of the Kabbalah, I found that this refers to the primeval Lilith, who was with him and conceived from him, but was not a helpmeet for him. But the Bible says nothing about this Lilith. This is a fiction, a fictitious entity created by the rabbis. From Zohar 319, come and see, there is a female, a spirit of all spirits, and her name is Lilith, and she was at first with Adam. In the hour when Adam was created and his body became completed, a thousand spirits from the left, evil side, clung to that body until the Holy One, blessed be he, shouted at them and drove them away. And Adam was lying, a body without a spirit, and his appearance was green. And all, oh, is that the green man? Is that the green man of the secret societies? Could be. And all those spirits surrounded him. In that hour, a cloud descended and pushed away all those spirits. No. This happened after Adam and Eve sinned. They were created by Yahweh Elohim and had the opportunity to remain immortal and produce immortal offspring. But Nachash, one of these fallen angels, and the book of Enoch tells us his name was Gadrel. He was one of the angels that fell with Lucifer. And it was Gadrel who seduced Eve. It says it in those exact words in the book of Enoch. Gadrel seduced Eve. 
and it, it continued here. And Adam, when Adam stood up, his female was attached to his side. <laughs> okay. And that Holy Spirit which was in him, spread out to this side and that side, and grew here and there, and thus became complete. Can anybody make sense of what, the, what I just read? Thereafter the Holy One, blessed be he, sought Adam into two. I guess Yahweh was a surgeon. And made the female. But they, they said previously that the male and the female were blended together into one being in the underworld. Thereafter the Holy One, blessed be he, sought Adam into two and made the female. So they say the female, Eve, was made by sawing Adam in two after they were blended together into one being, obviously an androgyne. And he brought her to Adam in her perfection like a bride to the canopy. When Lilith saw this, she fled. And she is in the cities of the sea, and she is still trying to harm the sons of the world. Okay, there may be an element of truth in this that Lilith was a female demon. But whether she procreated or tried to seduce Adam before Nachash seduced Eve is pure speculation on the part of these rabbis. Nothing of this is mentioned in the Hebrew literature. Nothing. I think they made this up just to distract us away from two seed line, saying that the evil one came from this... Uh, is he saying that Adam mated with Lilith? Are the rabbis saying that Adam had sex with Lilith? No, they're saying they were one being for a time. Blended together somehow. And had to be sawed apart. This is the utter nonsense that is called Judaism, folks. Utter nonsense. Okay? So, now she's in the sea. Lilith is in the sea. Well, there's sea monsters. <laughs> okay? When we know many of the fallen ones are being kept under the earth for the day of judgment. The Bible tells us that in numerous places. So, maybe Lilith is being kept under the sea. Maybe there's an element of truth to this. But there's so much nonsense being added to the scriptures by the Jewish rabbis that nothing they say can be trusted. Nothing they say can be trusted. And we don't trust them anymore. At least those of us in identity don't trust them anymore. The Judeo-Christians do. And they're, they're worse off for it. So, this is uh, really quite a story. We have to get Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3 and the rest of the Bible absolutely 100% correct. Otherwise, we have nothing but confusion. Okay, Dan, I perceive you're back. Uh, I am back. Yeah, I digressed while you were gone, and I, I was reading uh, the Kabbalah and what the rabbis teach happened in the garden. Okay, and so I can just summarize it really quickly. What the rabbis teach in the Kabbalah was that Eve was not the first woman created by the the uh, the Holy One. They don't use God, they don't use Yahweh at all in the Kabbalah, for, at least not in these verses. And he says, 
that Lilith was the first woman made for Adam, but she was a rebellious woman, and in other places they say she refused to take the missionary position. (laughs) 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 With Adam on top. She didn't like Adam on top. She wanted Adam to lie down, and she wanted to be on top, right? That's what the rabbis teach, folks. So here they teach that Lilith was attached, a female attached to Adam's side. And this was done in the underworld. And then when he brought them up from the underworld, he had to saw them apart. That's the word they use. He sawed them apart. Okay? This is what the rabbis teach about scriptures, folks. And this and the Judeo-Christians are clueless that this is what the rabbis actually teach. Okay, and then there were all kinds of spirits, evil spirits, clinging to both Adam and Eve when just before they were separated. And then after he separated them, then Eve came along, and then Eve was the, the woman for him, right? So this is where the legend of Lilith begins. It begins in the Kabbalah, okay? So I, I covered this while you were you know, d- d- detained. And so we'll just pick up the rest of Genesis chapter 3, now fully knowing what all these words mean, and then we can comprehend what's going on in the rest of Scripture. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay, thanks, Dan. Thank all right. you. All right. And thank you all present here in the chat room and all those who are getting this message. You have to get the words right. You have to know what they mean in the original languages. You can't make things up as we go along. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Yahweh bless. Bye bless.